The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. As Ben was just telling us, there does seem to be an increase in the number of anti-immigrant protests that are going on very publicly. And there's also an extra dimension to it. So as a 21st century digital dimension that a lot of these are being streamed and people are making money out of it. Paul Hosford, political correspondent of the Irish Examiner, you've been looking into this phenomenon. Tell us about it. Yeah, Matt, today we reported that just seven of the largest uh, Irish YouTube accounts which are streaming these anti-migrant protests had over a million uh, views combined in, in just the first, uh, up until the 18th of January. So really the first two and a half weeks of the of the year. The issue, uh, as you've said, is that there are more and more of these protests. The, the live streaming kind of gives a, a, a digital bent to it, but also helps to, to, to spread that message. A lot of the, the language used in the videos that, that we we looked at were very dehumanising. They use phrases like fake fugees or, or plantation, or there's always this allusion to, to people trafficking or something untoward uh, happening in the facilities that are being used across the country. As we know, uh, the government is really, really scrambling to, to find any, uh, really, uh, any facility that has four four walls and a roof uh, in which to house people coming from from abroad seeking international protection. We know that there was 89 uh, people who were not offered um, accommodation, although 55 of them have been housed in the the last week. So this is a a growing problem. But this idea that it's been streamed, a lot of these... Sorry, are these demonstrations been staged for streaming? There's definitely an element of it where people are not unhappy that they're happening, um, that they're very, very keen to latch on to the idea that these things can be live streamed. Some of the live streams come with what is called on YouTube super thanks. Uh, this is where you can give directly. Anyone who's who's um, used any kind of streaming software or used any kind of streaming platform will be familiar with this. Uh, video games platforms use them where somebody's playing a, a game of FIFA and they're fa- you know they're they're commentating along or they're chatting away and their fans are able to give them money. The same principle holds here uh, in in YouTube's case on on these protests. In that case, uh, the the content creator, as it were, the person who is standing outside a the a migrant facility, is keeping seventy percent of that of that money with thirty percent of it going back to to YouTube. Uh, they call this they call this super tanks. They say that it's the seventy percent is calculated after taxes and fees, but that uh, YouTube at the moment covers credit card fees. Have we any way of knowing of the million people who've watched these videos, how many of them might have contributed money to the generators of the content? Yeah, this is one of those things that that's, it's actually apparent uh, while it's happening. You can see it, uh, the money kind of going in as, as it happens. One of the things that, that you do notice uh, a lot if you, if you watch these videos is that a lot of the, the monetary sums are in dollars or they're in, they're in pounds sterling, indicating that the, the person uh, who's watching or is giving uh, isn't actually in the, on the island of Ireland. You just brought me to the next question is, do we know of the one million views for these videos, how many of them might have been done in Ireland? No, without without the the access to to the back end, uh, what what the content creators would have themselves, it's it, it's hard to say. Uh, but there's definitely, a, I suppose, there's definitely enough evidence to suggest that there is an, a a serious interest in these in these uh, protests within that kind of that that, that right far right realm or or that online kind of it, its own kind of ecosystem. Any of these videos that you've looked at, do any of them include actual violence? It's. I suppose one of the things that that you find with these videos is that there's always the heavy allusion towards violence. Um, The content creators themselves, uh, a lot of them, because 
it's either part of their their work or or they're looking to to kind of push towards this monetization. They're very very careful about kind of coming up to the line. Uh, YouTube says that it has uh, strict community guidelines. Everyone's uh, everyone's subject to that. They and and some of the accounts that we sent to to YouTube. They came back and they said one of the accounts had gotten a strike. That's a, a one week. Uh, it's a three strike policy within 90 days. First strike, you're suspended from putting up videos for a week. Second strike, you're suspended from putting up videos for two weeks. Third strike, uh, your channel gets deleted. The problem with that is that it's a 90, 90 day cut off. It's like uh, getting out of the group stages in the World Cup and your yellow cards get erased. Uh, if you're on two strikes on day 90, you go back to being able to to spread your message. Sorry, is anyone regulating the content being put up? Because if you were to put up content like that on a television station or the audio on radio station, you'd have the Broadcasting Commission of Ireland done your back straight away. Does anyone regulate Google, YouTube for doing this? And does, would anyone looking at whatever money they're making on the back of taking this content? Yeah, well, this is one of the things that's in the. It's I suppose it's it's in the online safety bill. It's it's designed to be part of it. It's the but that that legislation, while it is is complete, the actual online safety uh, commissioner isn't fully up and running. It isn't I suppose tackling these things. One of the other uh, things that you're looking at is the Department of Justice uh, is looking to proceed with its hate crime legislation, which would make it easier uh, for anyone who's uh, to, to prosecute anyone who's. Uh, promoting or, or kind of in, endorsing violence against uh, a protected uh, group, that you're looking at that being brought before the doll before uh, the summer. So, the, at the moment, the, the the regulation itself is is quite lax, and and even when you when you talk to um, to the platforms themselves, what they're looking at is generally speaking just the content of one video. So, if you kind of go back with evidence that somebody who is is using their their platform you know they're saying i'm going to you know if they're in another closed social network where they're kind of calling for violence and they're saying you know then they're coming up to the line in the video what the platforms will say is well you know in the video okay well let's bring in Aoife Gallagher on this as well who's an analyst at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and we've met Aoife on the program before Aoife what do you make of the streaming of these videos how much impact do you think could they possibly have yeah, well, I think it's important to say that the streaming element is really just one part of a really complex online ecosystem. So you obviously have the people streaming, you know, on Facebook and, and, and YouTube and places like that. But you also have, you know, really well-established accounts and channels online that have thousands of followers. Some of them are anonymous, some of them are not anonymous, that essentially pump out like unfounded rumors about migrants to, to these thousands of followers. You then have the element of kind of the the, 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 the far-right political parties that a lot of people would know about, the likes of the National Party and the Irish Freedom Party. You have a growing alternative media environment of so-called citizen journalists that are kind of using these platforms, using these kind of streaming sites as well to do this, to publish rumours and false stories. And then you also have, and I think this is kind of an important part of this, over the past couple of years, the audience for this kind of stuff has increased significantly. And a lot of this is to do with the kind of impact of the pandemic. So what you have now are groups that um, were set up, say, during the pandemic to push back against vaccines and masks and lockdowns that are now being used to spread this kind of anti-asylum seeker rhetoric. So there's as much as the, the streaming element is a very important part of it, and it can obviously be used, the, the footage can then be used to kind of, you know, chopped into kind of smaller video packages and used for kind of propaganda purposes as well. But it's, it's important to note that it is just one part of a, of a really complex ecosystem. 
Okay, I'm going to read some of the comments that are coming in from listeners. And uh, here's one that accuses me of scraping the barrel. Just because someone is not happy with the current immigration policy, it doesn't make us far right. There are lots of people I know are very unhappy with the government's free immigration policy and we don't have a voice except we've been tarred with this far right brush. Poor journalism by you and your show. What do you say to that, Aoife? Look, the, I think it's important to kind of break down what's happening here. There's a lot of things going on. We obviously have a, a broken system for housing asylum seekers. That's quite clear. We have a population that is becoming increasingly frustrated with a lack of meaningful action against very real issues that are facing people. And then on top of that, you have these movements, which are becoming increasingly organized, that are able to tap into these very real issues, but which are rooted in spreading these kind of racist and xenophobic ideas. So it's not, I agree, it's not fair to call every person protesting these things racist, okay? In a lot of places, you, but the fact is, is that in a lot of places, they are being led onto the streets by people who most certainly are. And that is, that their ultimate aim is to and spread this kind of these yeah, kind of racist and nativist ideas. If, if I'll give you another one here, right? Because this is an interesting one. Listen, we are allowed to protest nonsense to say stage for streaming, but here's the bit: unvetted immigrants, mostly men, intimidating, even assaulting Irish women. Report the facts. Well, surely the facts are that there have been many Irish men who've intimidated or insulted Irish women. There's nothing to suggest that we have a greater problem from people from outside the country coming in doing it than our own doing it, is there? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, another thing that I think is important to say is that I've been looking at these kind of movements, you know, consistently for over five years. And what I've seen online over the past few weeks is actually unlike anything I've seen before in this country. There are now blatant calls to kill migrants. We weren't seeing things like that before. There are calls to burn down buildings, which are being answered as far as we can see. There are calls to attack people, including guardian politicians. And then uh, on top of all this, you have these kind of unfounded rumours, speculation about, um, you know, migrants being involved in crimes. You have the increasing use of these kind of far-right conspiracy theories about asylum seekers being invaders that are here to replace Irish people. And this all comes from the far-right. It's all rooted in that kind of thinking. Yeah. um, The government situation, Paul Hosford, at the moment, from what you're hearing from, what, what do they think they can do about this, given that they're scrambling to provide enough accommodation for refugees coming in, while also simultaneously dealing with an ongoing housing issue? Yeah, I think one of the, the acceptances over the last couple of months is that in certain situations, there that that lack of what what's called meaningful consultation just hasn't happened in certain communities. Now, some of that is because of the the sheer scale of it. Um, you know, the the numbers are absolutely massive. We've taken in uh, effectively uh, another Waterford, and we ha- we didn't have that line around. You know, so there is an acceptance that you you know you're going to have to improve the information flow to to local communities. But in terms of what can actually be done to to you know. Uh, I suppose slow or limit the numbers. They, the options are, are very, very limited, uh, and I'm not entirely sure that that there's even the uh, I suppose the appetite to start doing that because of, uh, because of all of the I suppose the implications that that would have in Europe or, or you know with European directives. Okay, Aoife Gallagher, just to go back to you, has any country been able to successfully deal with this? Yeah, look, it is an extremely complex issue, but I think we kind of need to face up to the fact that 
this is going to continue to happen. People have a right to seek asylum and they most certainly should not be coming to sleep on the streets of this country or be subject to, to constant abuse and harassment. So there needs to be efforts to put the resources in place to, to process people's asylum, seeker, asylum applications as quickly as possible. I also think that community-led initiatives that bring people together to, to both integrate people into these communities and also provide an outlet for people to express their discontent about these issues without pushing them towards these the very extreme far-right groups that are doing this at the moment. That you know, They're the kind of uh, options, I think, that are available. But, but Aoife, what is it that people actually believe? I have another one here I'm reading, and I'm going to read this out because I think the vast majority of people will just be baffled by it. It says, Your entire narrative has fallen. The system is broken beyond repair. The asylum seekers are actually NATO soldiers. You and your team are gaslighting and lighting, aligned to us, the people, and we are wide awake. NATO soldiers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty widespread conspiracy theory that's spread online. The idea that um, asylum seekers are kind of coming to this country as as plants, as as NATO soldiers, and they're going to be kind of released, I suppose, at some kind of time in the future. A lot of it is kind of linked to conspiracy theories about, um, you know, lockdown, another pandemic, another lockdown, and they're kind of been placed into communities uh, across um, across Europe and across kind of English speaking countries. So it's a, it is it's a quite quite a, a, a that might shock you, but I see it every day, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, Aoife Gallagher from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and Paul Hosford, political correspondent for the Irish Examiner. Thank you both very much for joining us here on The Last Word. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.